Hey, before we get into the episode, I want to update you guys that we just announced Starting Small Summit 2024. We launched Starting Small Summit in 2022 with an amazing panel of founders. We flew in for a live event that carried on to 2023, and now we're excited to do our third annual event this year in the Midwest. So make sure to click the link in this description so you can find more information on that and find more about our speakers and enjoy the episode. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Jordan Nathan of Caraway, designing non-toxic, ceramic-coated, non-stick home goods that raise the standards of what you cook and bake with. Caraway has really made a name for themselves in the past few years. You may recognize their beautiful colorways within their products. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Jordan Nathan of Caraway. Jordan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Cameron. Super excited to chat. Yeah, of course. So I'd like to start out with your upbringing. Um, where did you grow up and what would you say your childhood was like? Yeah, uh, so grew up in northern New Jersey in uh, Bergen County, about 45 minutes outside uh, New York City. Uh, funny enough, both my parents are uh, entrepreneurs. My brother actually is today as well and grew up in a, a family of uh, business owners. Uh, my dad was in um, uh, kind of the outerwear and fashion world. Uh, he has his own kind of buying office uh, independently. And then my mom is a, uh, a controller. So mm. watched the two of them uh, growing up, kind of running their own businesses, which was super exciting and yeah. getting to control their own schedules. And um, when I was a lot younger, uh, ice hockey was my main passion. So grew up uh, playing ice hockey my whole life, played in college and mm. uh, before I got into business. Uh, yeah, wanted to, to be in the NHL and yeah. you know, make it all the way there, but unfortunately was not, not good enough. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, grew up really loving sports and hockey and, um, uh, yeah. And, uh, love it. Yeah, take a lot of those learnings into where I am today. For sure. Yeah. Growing up and kind of through your grade school years, was that main focus and priority? Would you say hockey, like full intentionality or? What were some of your like aspirations as well, career-wise? Hockey, maybe. Even. Yeah, um, hockey was like the center of my life. Uh, everything I did really uh, was devoted to getting better as a player. But I think watching my parents uh, both be entrepreneurs growing up um, uh, always had an interest in starting a business. I actually used to go to a summer camp and. Uh, my parents used to bring candy during visiting day and I actually used to like hoard the candy to sell to everyone else when they ran out of uh, their own stash. And so always had kind of that business uh, uh, interest kind of in early days. And even when I got to college or high school, I participated in a lot of business clubs, entrepreneurship clubs, mm. um, had a feeling that one day I would start something, but never knew, you know, what that would look like and what I'd be interested in launching. Yeah. So getting into your college years, you mentioned you played hockey. Um, I saw you went on to Kobe College. Was that like on scholarship? What made you decide to go there as well? What, what did that look like? Yeah, so I went to Colby. It's a small liberal arts school up in Maine, about 1,800 students. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, played college uh, sports there. And uh, uh, yeah, love that it was a liberal, art, liberal arts education. I was interested in learning about a number of different areas. Um, I think a big focus of the education at Colby was around 
uh, writing, kind of forming an argument, uh, definitely wrote a big, big share of uh, thesis papers there around various subjects and um, ended up creating my own major, which was consumer psychology. So it was kind of a combination of psychology classes, sociology, business, economics, and I think mm -hmm. a little bit of math. Um, and was really interested in understanding why consumers made the purchasing decisions that they did yeah. um, and maybe what personality factors or uh, you know uh, environmental factors might influence those decisions. Mm. Awesome. I, I saw post-college, and you might have been working on it during college as well. You ended up creating uh, your own startup kind of on that shopping experience. If you can kind of explain what led you into this venture um, and the inspiration behind that. Yeah, so my sophomore year of college um, started kind of uh, getting really interested in business. And, um, you know, I think back in the, was it 2011, 2012, there was all these new exciting direct-to-consumer brands, a lot of new online shopping experiences popping up, a lot of focus on, I think, mobile at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and as a consumer, was continually frustrated with, going to shop for an item and having to open up like 30 different uh, tabs in my browser to find the right item. And, you know, I wasn't sure where to save what I liked. And so came up with this idea to create a shopping platform that was built for uh, really direct to consumer brands or up and coming brands in the fashion space to start mm. um, where you could kind of um, shop by discovery if you like, shop by brand, and long-term the goal is to kind of be like a Amazon for products that you want versus need. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, spent a lot of my last three years at college doing research, uh, built wireframes and kind of a rough product, wrote a 100-page thesis on it or business plan, and then out of school spent, I think, a year, year and a half um, right out of school uh, starting the company. Wow. Incredible. So what did kind of that um, logistic process look like behind that? Were brands onboarding onto the platform? And then how did like warehousing, shipping, would that they would just handle that on their side? They would just use your platform as kind of like just a, a database and they would ship? How did that look? Yeah. So interestingly, that business would have been a lot easier to start today than it was a decade ago. Um, yeah. At the time, a lot of brands were on Shopify, but there was still a big cohort still on Magento or big commerce. And mm -hmm. um, one of the biggest logistical hurdles was how do we actually connect into someone's store and um, feed an item through their Shop Shopify backend. And so um, uh, we were building a technology around that, which was kind of like a third party connector, and then had some other products that would have been affiliate based to drive you off platform. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, it was a really interesting product and that there are a couple other competitors where they're all affiliate based driving off platform and um, that logistical connection was really tough. And yeah, uh, as a business, we just wanted to be the platform that facilitated the sale and then kind of left logistics to the, mm -hmm. the brand. Love it. So I saw that then eventually you got into kind of your direct consumer area by starting in 2016 of Remy, which prior to Caraway, this is also kind of in that kitchenware space, which you launched. Um, what kind of motivated you to get into that kind of coming from this tech startup that you started up and then getting into kind of direct consumer products yourself? Yeah, so um, uh, my first startup, Wanu, we ended up not 
uh, making it to market. It was really tough to fundraise um, in, in the environment that we were in. I think a lot of the the gilts and rulalas and Groupons at that time were struggling and investors really didn't want to put their capital into marketplaces. And so mm. um, I joined a company called Mohawk Group, which uh, was the owner of, of Remy and a number of Amazon-based brands. I was mm. their roughly 10th employee, started as a brand manager for Remy. And uh, when I first got there, I think they had three or four products. Uh, the brand itself sold kitchenware, uh, home goods, um, when I first got there, uh, a lot of the products they had weren't selling super well. So I had to teach myself how to source from Asia, do product development. Mm -hmm. Once we got those products to the U S we had to figure out how to sell them. Uh, and then once we were selling them, we had to figure out how to do the logistics. And so uh, I was a really amazing experience kind of building this brand within, uh, the Mohawk group structure and yeah. Interestingly enough, it was all Amazon based. And so uh, really got my first learnings in the Amazon platform. Um, uh, and direct to consumer was a small piece of the business, but really kind of a supportive function to maybe repeat customers and using Amazon more for acquisition. Yeah, for sure. I saw um, kind of leading on to this 2018, I know uh, Remy really expanded into other products as well, but 2018 is when Caraway then comes. Um, I'm, I'm sure some of your prior experiences, especially with your career journeys thus far, uh, inspired the launch of Caraway. If you can kind of explain uh, the inspiration behind that, um, especially kind of the non-toxic cookware space. Yeah, in my time at Vremi, I launched uh, dozens and dozens of products in the kitchen space. So cookware, bakeware, small appliances, gadgets, and mm. um, I actually spent a lot of time overseas in factories and um, one of the things that I noticed about the category was just a lot of bad manufacturing processes, a lot of materials, uh, like plastic and, uh, Teflon touching your food. That's not safe to use. And, yeah. um, I actually had a really scary experience with a Teflon pan, uh, where I actually brought a pan home to test that we were looking to launch. I put on my burner. I forgot I left it there for 45 minutes with mm. the, the flame on. Uh, and my apartment actually ended up being filled with fumes Wow! and I actually got Teflon poisoning from, uh, overheating the pan. And so, wow. um, kind of went through this experience and being in the category, it kind of clicked that, you know, why are we cooking off of something that's potentially so toxic and mm. there has to be an alternative and kind of looked in the market, uh, ceramic had existed, but no one had really launched a brand that explained why the material exists, why it's good for you. And you know, with all my experience in the kitchen space, you know, thought I could uh, uh, give it a go, go and branch out on my own. So launched yeah. Caraway in 2019. Love it. So from your sourcing experience prior um, with Remy, where did you look for sourcing? If you can kind of share like um, for non-toxic cookware. Yeah. Um, so fortunately, um, the production and product development part was actually one of the easier parts of launching Caraway just because mm -hmm. I had been doing so much of it uh, at Vremi. Yeah. Um, when launching Caraway, it was really important to find vendors who believed in uh, eco-friendly practices in manufacturing, using premium materials. Um, we're also a very design-driven brand. And so, you know, I think a lot of uh, factories are always looking to optimize cost, whereas mm -hmm. in Caraway, uh, of course, we want to offer things that are accessible, but also 
we're not going to cut corners around design details or yeah. materials. And so um, looked everywhere from Asia, US, Taiwan, Mexico, and we landed with some great factories overseas in Asia. Um, some of those vendors I'd actually met uh, with my experience with Fremi. Um, mm. And so had some prior relationships there, which was really helpful. Awesome. At launch, what did uh, Caraway look like then? You guys have had amazing exponential growth through the years. Um, but what was that like first line or first offering that you guys launched with? So we launched um, November 2019. Um, our first product was our cookware set. We actually didn't have any singles. And the thesis mm. at the beginning was we just want to sell you one set that gives you everything you need and nothing more. The site was very simple. It was basically a single page that you could check out on. Mm. Um, we still had the same kind of core five or six colors. Um, and we launched during the holidays, which was a great time to launch. And yeah, um, yeah the brand really kind of took off. We had a lot of great press at launch. We had, I think, 100 or 200 influencers mm. uh, posting on launch day, which was really successful. Um, and then prior to actually launching, we built a 100,000 plus uh, email list. Wow. Um, and so started kind of building up the brand a little bit before launch to help us once we got to market. Yeah. I'd love to hear kind of that, the acquisition side of things, especially email prior to launch. So how did you guys acquire? Was it, was this mainly like Facebook ads? Were you running giveaways? What did that look like? Yeah. So we really leaned into giveaways. Um, we partnered with a lot of other D2C brands. Mm -hmm. Um, and kind of participated in multi-brand giveaways. In a lot of cases, we were hosting them, and through that, we're able to acquire uh, a number of uh, early adopters. And um, I think started this process maybe six to eight months before, and with that list, had run a bunch of referral programs. Uh, we talked about the brand, the R&D process. Mm -hmm. We gave sneak peeks of what the product would be, and so, by the time we launched, we had built up the hype and you know had a community of people who kind of followed the journey of yeah. what we were building. Incredible. With um, especially at launch, what did you find out was like the main demographic overall, subscribers wise? Yeah. Um, so very um, very city based, which is not surprising given given we were mostly direct to consumer. Um, a lot of our customer, interestingly, were. Uh, I would say less good at cooking than maybe uh, what we were expecting. I think a lot of uh, the customers coming to Caraway really were buying us for the non-toxic and design, but also yeah. they wanted something that was really easy to clean up and use. And um, I think as a brand really struck a chord with folks who didn't want to be a professional chef. Um, you know, they wanted something that was high performance, but um uh, was safe and non-toxic. So sure. really lean into those categories. And I would say one surprising thing was, I think we expected more, uh, folks living in apartments or maybe by themselves to be a big core demographic, but yeah. actually a lot of families and, uh, kind of, uh, uh, folks with more, uh, people in their homes were kind of a bigger demographic for us. I hope you guys are enjoying this episode around Jordan's entrepreneurial journey. I'd like to pause and say thank you to this episode's mid-break sponsor, Govi. 
Govee is devoted to making your life smarter and brighter. Picking up a lot of notoriety lately, Govee is a global leading smart home brand pursuing personalized and fun life experiences through continuous innovation since 2017, especially in ambient lighting, home appliance products, and smart LLT systems. They design it, produce it, and make life overall smarter. I saw some of my friends and family getting Govee outdoor permanent lights, and I was so intrigued by the display, the quality, and the overall functionality that they are indeed permanent. It made me think if I had these for Christmas time and just year round without seasonality, you can have a lot of different colorways that attract for that season. You can do a clean white, blue and green, and any other colorways that may be attracted to that seasonality or your aesthetic. Highly recommend checking out Govi and make sure to go to their website at us.govi.com. That's us.govi.com and enjoy the rest of the episode. So I'm curious, in 2020, when COVID rolls around then, a lot of e-commerce, especially brick and mortar stores, were affected with COVID. How did this affect you guys, especially in the cookware space and selling direct to consumer? It was definitely a scary moment to start for the business. We had just launched uh, three months ago and, yeah. you know, lo and behold, we have a global pandemic and, uh, you know, I think there was a lot of concern around will consumers be purchasing? Where will they be purchasing? Um, and for Caraway, we, you know, we're on the lucky side of the coin there where a lot of uh, consumers are stuck at home. Uh, they're spending more time in the kitchen. Um, and what ended up happening was a lot of the growth in the category got accelerated because everyone wanted to uh, cook more at home and not go out and um, was a great opportunity for Caraway to uh, make its way into the conversation. And especially when a lot of the sentiment was around uh, COVID and getting sick, having products that were non-toxic, uh, yeah. I think really resonated with consumers. And, um, you know, if we look at kind of the market moving forward, I think one of the benefits to that time with consumers was getting them in the kitchen, uh, learning to cook. And I think we're seeing now a couple of years later that a lot of just interest in cooking at home was accelerated and yeah. uh, we've been able to carry forth with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you guys continue today, but at this time, did you leverage like your digital presence such as like education or do any like tutorials? I feel like that would be a huge lever to pull at that time, especially. What did that look like for you guys? Definitely. Um, where we really leaned early on and we still do today is uh, working with a large network of brand ambassadors. So today mm -hmm. we work with around 3000 per year um, across Instagram and TikTok. And, um, you know, I think it's one thing hearing from the brand on the product and how to yeah. use it. And uh, but having a you know group of evangelists who really love the product is where we leaned in. And so during that time and even today, um, focused on kind of our core customers and core ambassadors to kind of be the spokespeople for the brand mm. and, you know, share why Caraway is something they love, how it makes their life easier, safer, yeah. et cetera. As I'm sure this was both a good part for e-commerce, but also disruption, obviously, for supply chain. Did you guys see any um, disruptions within um, orders taking place at this time? We did. Um, logistics were a nightmare uh, for yeah. about two years. So in 2021, uh, funny enough, we pretty much had zero product all year, which for an mm. early startup was a benefit because our cash flow is great because we were selling yeah. 
basically on like a 10 week back order at any point during the year, similar to buying a couch. Um, And that was kind of the status quo. So it didn't affect conversion rates too much, I would say. Um, But yeah, we really built this model of kind of selling on a back order or a wait list, which I think helped drive hype and demand. Um, and I don't think we really returned back to normal until mid to late 2022. Um, and so, uh, really challenging time, especially for our operations team. Yeah. Uh, and at that point too, you couldn't get access to stainless steel and aluminum and costs were going up. And so, Mm. um, a lot of decisions there and challenges around, you know, do we change the price? Do we keep it the same? And we ended For up sure. keeping our pricing without any changes to really, you know, uh, I think honor the price point that we put out to market, but also continue to create a brand that's accessible. Now, I'm sure this has evolved over time, but you mentioned kind of with the acquisition, you did some education on non-toxic, but in a market where it's ran by a lot of bigger, older legacy brands, and then you guys are coming up um, as a new player, how do you guys continue to educate consumers, especially I feel like a lot of cookware people are uneducated on what they're using. So what do you find works with the marketing so far you guys are doing? Yeah. So most of, um, when we survey customers, the biggest reason they purchase Caraway is because of our non-toxic coatings and materials. Um, Mm -hmm. we really lead with that front and center of our marketing. Um, you know, I think there are a lot of brands in the space before we launched who sat on retail shelves. And I think one of the big challenge with that is, you don't know why the material ex- exists. You don't have the room to talk about it. And so being direct to consumer first, yeah. um, we've always had an our materials page on our site within all of the product pages. We talk about the materials. Um, after you buy a product, we have uh, emails that you receive that explain more about the product that you bought. And then um, one thing that we do that's a bit different than most other brands in the space is if you were to message, message our uh, customer service team, uh, we're really transparent. We share all testing reports that we've done on our materials. And um, yeah, I think as a brand, we want to make sure the information's there if you want to dig in more, but yeah. you know, also don't want to overwhelm a consumer with too much uh, you know, sure. that prevents them from purchasing. For sure. So you guys launched with this first um, kind of family of products, this first line. Today, as you guys expand, what does R&D look like for, say, a new line or a new product you guys want to launch? What does that process look like? So our average uh, R&D timeline right now takes about three years. It's quite long, um, but we're typically working five years out um, on what we want to launch. And Mm -hmm. um, uh, a big piece of it is listening to consumers. So we do a lot of surveying, asking customers what they want, what's missing from their current sets, what are challenges in the kitchen, um, mm-hmm. and just ask them broadly to, so we can think about how we can solve those through products. Yep. Um, and then we also do our own research where maybe we're looking at Google Trends or certain keywords and seeing what people are searching for, um, looking through re- reviews to see um, what are features that are missing or that people really like. And as we look across categories, we love opportunities where there's a big, uh, big space to offer a material that's non-toxic, that's maybe not offered there today, or yep. our bakeware, tea kettle, food storage are great examples of products where there was never a premium option in those spaces. And uh, you know we felt like Caraway could enter and 
um, really create a new category within some of those uh, uh, verticals. Definitely. So as far as this, where you guys are selling today, are you 100% e-commerce right now or did you guys roll into retail? What, what does that look like so far? Yeah. So we're majority um, e-commerce. Uh, we launched Amazon last year, which is a big business for us. And awesome. then we are in about 800 uh, retail locations today. So uh, we sell with Target, um, Crate and Barrel, Container Store, Nordstrom, and then we have a number of uh, marketplace relationships. So whether it's Zola, mm. Costco, um, yeah. Bloomingdale's, and a handful of others. Incredible. Uh, looking into kind of the future of Caraway, do you do you see uh, further retail opp opportunities for you guys, or is the direct consumer e-commerce space really just the pinpoint right now for the future? I think when we think about uh, Caraway. We want to be as accessible to consumers as possible. So, yeah. you know, I think um, we see opportunity and distribution going deeper with existing channels and partners, adding on yeah. new ones. Um, you know, our, our goal is really to remove Teflon from shelves and to, mm. to do that. We physically need to replace those products. And so I think retail is a really big opportunity. And then, um, uh, yeah, I think with um, continued product expansion, it also opens up different verticals where maybe certain products live in certain areas and they may not live in other channels that we're yeah. selling on. Definitely. Well, I'd like to conclude uh, each episode with this. If you can share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, maybe something you've learned or regret along the way, what would you say that would be? Great qu question. Um, I think surround yourself with a, a great team and advisors. I think, uh, I don't know, for me, I was a single founder and, you know, it's often a, a lonely path. And, um, you know, I think with any company, uh, those first hires are critical, having the right support around you, you know, you're not there on your own. And so I mm -hmm. think as uh, a new founder or entrepreneur, making sure you have the right support around you is extremely important. and you're not going to be good at everything and you're not going to know everything. And, you know, having folks with a ton of experience who have been there to help you, um, I'd say for, for me, it was really helpful and would yeah. certainly recommend. Amazing. Well, Jordan, thank you so much for taking the time and to the listeners out there, make sure to check out Caraway Home at carawayhome.com. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, Leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small on social platforms and make sure to subscribe to our email so you don't miss anything on Starting Small Summit, more podcast episodes, or our online blog. You can find that link in this description.